the Van Meter Monster or Van Meter Visitor. Just a stone throw's distance from Des Moines, Iowa, was a seemingly average day in Van Meter back on September 29, 1903. However, the creature known as the Van Meter Visitor would radically alter the average day and the nights of Tuesday, September 29th through October 3rd, and would add terror, shock, and the sound of giant wings flapping across the sky. We're going to dive into this 100-year-old tale that, by some accounts, are saying may have returned tonight. This is a weird little beast. Weird little beast. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become, fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Alright, before we get too far into this, I want to acknowledge that I've either plagued myself with seasonal allergies here or I've picked up some <laughs> kind of cold, so I'm not going to quite sound like myself. Bill sounds a little nuffy. Got a little yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger sound <laughs> going on there. And uh, we do do three of these every time we get together, so it's going to sound like I'm sick for the next month. <laughs> um, rest assured that if I am still sick in the month, then there's something seriously wrong with me. Nearly dead. Nearly dead. Uh, hopefully after after these three episodes, I'll be back to my regular self. Eric, we're going to talk about this Van Meter. I know they say visitor quite a bit when well, they talk about him. The visitor, I believe, is a new book that's actually being put out. So that's kind of beforehand. I think it was the Van Meter monster, and it's kind of been reintroduced as well, the Van Meter visitor. I think visitor was used because, if I remember correctly, and I've, I've looked this up, Allegedly, the creature never attacked anyone. Allegedly. It never directly attacked anyone. It never seemed to cause anyone any harm. Okay. It did interact with people on a couple occasions. And, and as we tell the story here, I mean, we, people certainly intended harm to the, the monster. Well, it, it seems to be a stereotypical, whenever we have a creature, and we, we've laughed about this on several podcasts, if you don't know what it is, you just try to shoot it. I mean, you Well, know, I mean, it, this is America. Yeah. So, you know, if you've if you got a gun, you should use it, right? <laughs> several times and very often, <laughs> yes. So, so the, we're going to say visitor and we're going to say monster. Now, I, being a creature person, I'm going to say monster a lot. And I'm going to say, as, as we go through here... If you've got a third edition Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. Oh, here's the D&D plug again. Wizards of the Coast does not sponsor us, by the way. Yeah, if you've got a third edition Dungeons and Dragons monster manual floating around and you look up the Yurthak, Y-R-T-H-A-K, I think it's very similar to what we're seeing, what, we, what we're describing here when we talk about this creature. Um, I'm, I'm going to show Eric what it looks like on my phone so he can agree or disagree. I'm sure I've seen it. I have many of the D&D books, but... Uh... Yeah, I yeah. would think it's it's similar. I, yeah, to I that. think that's pretty similar. And then you know, but anyway, some some wonder is it a prehistoric flying dinosaur? You know, similar to a, a pterodactyl in many aspects. Uh, however, some stories dive in a little bit uh, more with a demon, possibly that literally has clawed its way up from hell through the coal mines that's uh, in that vicinity. If we're going to talk about Van Meter, we, we need to talk about Van Meter. Van Meter. Uh, so Van Meter is a city in Dallas County, Iowa, and it sits on the Raccoon River. The population was only f 1,484 during the 2020 census. 
So as you can imagine, it's not a very big town. I don't think it was a lot larger or, or changed in the time like of the 1903 well, incidences. At the time of the, the visitors' visit. <laughs> visitors' visit. Uh, the population was said to have been just over 400. So oh, okay. Big place. Okay. okay. Uh, and the town itself was named for Jacob Rhodes Van Meter and his family, some of the original Dutch settlers in the area. Okay. But the time frame I think we're going to really focus on, because this is sort of the bulk of the Van Meter visit, is uh, from September 29th through October 3rd. Now, I want to say one thing here that, in my mind, um, I actually was channel surfing one night and came across one of my favorites. Uh, You know, I'm always looking for sci-fi shows and stuff. But this pterodactyl demon-like creature has a horn uh, or or something uh, growing out of the top of its head. And the thing that really set this apart to me <laughs> is it like shoots a beam of light, almost like a sci-fi scanning beacon type well, it, deal. It's definitely like you could make a Dungeons and Dragons monster. And oh, you absolutely. The abilities. Uh, what I have here, which is just a rough description of it, is a winged bat or pterodactyl-like creature. Uh, was roughly nine feet tall, moved impossibly fast. Uh, when it did make a noise, it, it sounded like someone strangling or, or suffocating. I heard that. Yeah, that would that'd be pretty scary in the middle of the night. Apparently, it could emit a memory-erasing stench. I heard that, yeah. So, like a stench, like a skunk or yeah. some spray or pheromone. And, and seemingly unaffected by bullets. Because basically everybody that saw this thing took a shot at it. The last night, I guess, when they ran this thing back to the mines, there was just an arsenal of people waiting and just emptied round after round after and it, round. And that absolutely makes sense after you've shot at it every night for three nights and it yeah. has no effect. Let's pump up the volume a little bit here. <laughs> so I said uh, September 29th through October 3rd. That year would have been, what year is that? Now? 1903. 1903. I'm sitting here looking at my notes and I left out what year happened. <laughs> so I'm not really... I'm off my game. It was a far piece back, Bill. I don't expect you to remember back that far. <laughs> well, I think the first event took place uh, downtown, right in the heart of the city's business district. And as you said, I, I use those words loosely, there was like 400 people in population. Uh, there were many credible witnesses throughout the three days, but this one incident... Well, here's the thing. Strangely enough, almost all of the named witnesses to the event were like important men in the town. Yep. Business owners, Shop doctors, owners, yes, yes. bankers. The kind of people that most of the time would not want their name associated with something like this. Right, right. And it made quite quite a hoopla, if you will. There was a U.G. Griffin, I believe, at least the research I've done, he was the first person uh, that actually experienced the Van Meter monster. He was uh, the local, and, and I'm going to say this in quotes because I don't know exactly what it means. I'm going to assume it means he owns some kind of hardware store or something, but the local implement dealer. Implement dealer. Dealer. Okay. And this was on the night of the September 29th. September 29th, and I think it was early, early morning, like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that. Well, I think this was, and and again, we we may be off. My impression was this was the night of September 29th, and then the next encounter I have is early morning on the 30th. Okay. So so I think this might have been the night before, and then. Well, U.G. Griffin uh, was the first person believed to have actually experienced the Van Meter monster. Initially, he thought it was a spotlight moving around the rooftop and uh, woke up and annoyed, you know, ready to confront uh, whoever was behind it. Now, you got to consider at this time frame, you know, some might say, well, it's somebody with a flashlight on the top of the building. Flashlights were around. They were actually invented, I believe it was in 1898. Um, they were starting to be sold in the 1903 era, but again, the, the quality, the brightness, 
definitely would not match what he described. Well, every every time they talk about the light of this creature, it's described as a beacon. Like a so lighthouse, like, yeah, blinding. Very bright. Bur- yeah, like something we would have today in, in technology with flashlights. But he noticed uh, the light move from a rooftop to a rooftop. In his opinion, and, it and jumped. across streets. Yes, across the entire street. So you got to think that's at least 20 foot, maybe 30 or even more feet. Uh, but he felt it was leaping from rooftop to rooftop across the street. And again, this beacon light kind of scanning through stores, scanning the street. Uh, and then it just, as quickly as he saw it, it just disappeared in the night. Well, Mr. Griffith did, of course, take a couple shots at it. Well, of course. Which the beast seemed to shrug off like, you know, mosquito or whatever. <laughs> like, it seemed to have no effect. And I will say, as, as we continue, every time that this beast gets shot at by anyone, it leaves behind no evidence that it's injured. No, no blood. It no, doesn't appear to be injured. No tissue. Yeah, no nothing. nothing. Now, some might ask, well, what in the world was U.G. Griffith doing out in the middle of the street at 1 a.m.? Now, from my understanding, he was he was making some rounds, like uh, maybe, maybe acting as a security guard for his property or that something like that. That okay. was my impression. Okay. So. I had heard he had returned from a business trip. So I'm envisioning, and I didn't find this, maybe the train had come in or, you know, he, he rode his horse in or, or whatever the case may be, but it was business of some sort yeah. that, it, you know, he wasn't by any account that I saw, he wasn't like had been to the tavern all night long and was, you know, it wasn't like he was inebriated and drunk wandering well, the well, streets. Like a lot of these, a lot of the people that, that they say saw it were respectable members of the community. So, and, and again, I'm not saying respectable community members can't go out and get liquored up, but. <laughs> But no, there's there's never any documents of like, oh, this guy was drunk and he saw this thing. So so later that same night, early morning on the thirtieth, I have the Doctor Alcott, yes, town's doctor, the town doctor. He was awoken by a piercingly bright beam of light shining through his window, and I believe he lived on the second floor. Just I, for yeah, I think so. Kind of setting the pace here. So of course he jumps out of bed and he grabs the nearest firearm that he can. Because again, we're Americans and we have guns everywhere. That's absolutely what we do. Uh, and he was concerned that they were trespassers somehow, you know, like, again. You, Maybe you shining a flashlight yeah. or, you know, whatever, lantern or break whatever. Break into his place. So he uh, he he ran outside where he was confronted by, by the Van Meter monster standing there in all of its pterodactyl-like glory. And it was like stuck on the side of the building, I, I believe. Like maybe it was peering into the window possibly. Yeah. So he, he takes five shots at the creature, you know, just he's going to drive it off, whatever it is. And, and again, you know, there's no evidence that he injured it. There's no blood on the ground. There's the creature flies off as if it's perfectly unharmed. Uh, so then of course the doctor does what any sane man at that point does. He goes inside, he locks up all the doors <laughs> and he just waits out for daylight. Cause you know, he doesn't want to deal just with clutching the gun in a wet sweat, you know, hoping the night passes through. Yeah. So next night, I think we have, uh, the bank cashier, Peter Dunn. Yes. I had a Clarence, so it may have been Peter Clarence or Clarence and Peter I, I or think something that is like it. that. I think he has three names. I, I had seen references to a Clarence Dunn and a Peter Dunn, so I think it might have been like a Clarence Peter, Peter Clarence situation. But apparently he heard something outside, um, so, and, and this is where you get the first document of the, the creature's noise, which he described as, as sounding like someone was choking or gasping for air. Now, uh, Very unusual. He was a little more, um, I would say, of a common sense kind of guy because he, he basically just kind of held his ground where he was and was kind of scared. He just kind of locked himself kind of scared, in his yeah. bank. Uh, you know, obviously he, he felt threatened or the business, yeah. you know, was going to get broken so, into. So he kind of huddled, he kind of hunkered down and, and stood his ground and obviously armed as, as everybody was in this story. 
And then suddenly the night was pierced by a bright beam of light uh, shining through the front of his bank. And that's when he, of that, course, that takes do the, the reasonable measure of uh, shooting at the monster <laughs> through the front window of the bank. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, again, you've got a, not that glass is cheap today by any means, but especially back in that time oh, yeah, frame, yeah. a picture glass front window of a store, he didn't think twice. He shot right through that. Now, uh, Dunn was able to make plaster casts of the the foot the footprint of the beast, which is here in, in quotes, uh, great three-toed tracks that it left behind. So, now, I know you're kind of a dinosaur guy. Let's let's play the, the pterodactyl aspect. Does, do pterodactyls have three toes? Is that is that common? Or, um, or do you know? I mean, that's something that I'd have to look up. But I will say, um, based on my understanding of biology, pterodactyls do not have any sort of... Uh, spotlight on their head. right right so, right right unless somebody has duct taped some a flashlight to it <laughs> now i will say if you look at some early art of the creature there's some some art you know renderings of witnesses but apparently there was also on a newspaper cover uh, a drawing depicting this thing as something like a dragon and flying off with cattle which is never documented I, anywhere right, in the i story. believe i did see that yeah so uh e- even even amongst the people that saw it they they kind of you know and and again I think not that long ago we talked about that yellow journalism where they mm-hmm. punch up a story a little bit. So, Got to sell newspapers. So so the night after Peter Dunn sees the creature, we go to an O.V. White. And every account that I saw said the same thing. O.V. White was a dead eye with a gun. I saw if that as well. If he put his sights on something, he was hitting it. It he was, was going killing. down. Yep. So he was awakened from his slumber in his quarters above the hardware store by what he described as a shrill metal-on-metal grinding-like sound. So not the, the gasping for air, but kind of a monstrous shriek, if you will. Uh, he, gr- of course, grabbed his rifle and he looked out the window. And that's when he sees the creature perched on a telephone pole across the street. And I think that I envision this is just, it's just perched up there, just resting, yeah. trying to get a break, you know, and here again. Yes, and of course. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you know, of course, you can't have a monster perched on your telephone pole. That's, uh, <laughs> so he does what, what any good sharpshooter is going to do. Uh, the creature looks at him suddenly. He's looking at the creature, and uh, before he can shoot at it, actually, uh, based on my version of the story here, he uh, he claims to have been overwhelmed and knocked unconscious by a horrific stench. This scent gland or pheromones or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the beast has a smell, and, and again, they say it's memory-altering uh, in different accounts. Now, I had, two the creature, and I thought this was dead on. Uh, not that I saw it, but I mean, I loved the description. was like a parrot walking down... Uh, a perch. Yes. Using its yeah. beak no. to kind of help steady itself. The next guy who saw the creature oh, was, the next was guy. Sidney Gregg. Okay. Uh, he was sleeping in his store nearby when he heard the disturbances of, of this. And so he gets up and he looks out the window and he sees the creature climbing down the pole. And it is exactly like you said, like like the way you see a parrot using its beak to help it down. And we've owned a parrot. So I know, I mean, as soon as they said that, and, and I, I just. Yeah, I have friends who, who owned birds when I was growing up. I've I seen totally see the that. bird doing it. So. Uh, he says that when the monster hit the ground, though, it hopped around like a kangaroo, which again is very bird-like. Yes. And apparently it sort of hopped around in the area, kind of surveying its surroundings for a moment before it kind of takes a couple of hops and then launches itself into the air and then flies off. And again, putting this into the pace of things that seems to be a common eight foot tall-ish. So you'd think the wingspan would be at least that much. Yeah, every everything I read was was eight to nine feet tall, and so yeah, you imagine it's got a pretty good wingspan on it. Now, you know, again, some people might be reminiscent here as uh, possibly some stories of the Jersey Devil. This you it know, is kind of reflect the Mothman we've talked about in similar podcasts. I did see where uh, 
Some folks said it could possibly have been inspired by the Spring Hill Jack story from from uh, Europe at the same time frame. And Spring Hill Jack is one I think we have on the list, you know, as a possibility topic. Mm-hmm. On the evening of October 3rd, J.L. Pratt Jr., who was manager of the brick and tile factory on the outskirts of town, heard some strange noises coming from the nearby abandoned coal mine. And, uh... You know, if you've got a spooky story with a monster, I I think it's mandatory to have an abandoned coal mine somewhere around. In an aban or like an old brick creepy uh, background well, right I mean, there next to it. The Mothman I mean. story has something like that. Yep. And, but around one a.m., he he noticed these sounds. Uh, and this this coal mine's located on the northwest side of Van Meter. So J.L. Pratt described uh, in in his own words, presently the noise opened up again. As though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. I loved that aspect. It's like, that, yeah. that guy should be writing for movies. And that was a direct quote, quote of his from the Des Moines Daily News on October 3rd of 1903. So he goes and he investigates the noise, and he comes face to face not with one creature. Two. But with two. Yeah. There's a smaller creature, roughly half the size of the actual, you know, the, the before-mentioned Van Meter visitor. So, you know, maybe could have been a, a, an maybe infant a or, or yeah, maybe the male or the female is just a slightly larger version of the same. So between the two creatures, they lit up the area in a brilliant light as they flew away. Again, that's, I'm, that's 1950s, 60s sci-fi. I mean, you just, I think I've even seen some magazine covers and comic covers that would have that type of a beacon with, yeah. you know, or a, a light, a creature just with this beacon of light well, scanning. And the thing is, is even if you were going to hoax it. In in that time frame, people don't just you don't you don't have any kind of technology where you can yeah. fly off into the air. No, you, no. you could do that with a drone or something now, but yeah. in 1903, 1903, still pretty primitive. Like no. I said, flashlights and stuff were invented. They weren't, I won't say readily available, but the technology just yeah. there was no way there. So the locals took up arms and formed a posse that night, and they're thinking that this is definitely where they're coming from because yeah. the one guy had saw the demons yeah. and clawing. So yeah, they're going to come back and we're going to be ready for them. Yeah. They form posse, they take up arms and they return the next morning, uh, gathered up to rid the earth of the creatures. And again, that, that night the creatures do again return. And like any good self-respecting posse with <laughs> firearms <laughs> and we keep going back, we're Americans. So everybody has guns. I, I, I don't, I don't know if people have seen the meme where it's like, you know, this is how Americans have breakfast and it, steak and eggs and in a, in a nine forty five, you know, sitting right there. Well, I mean, you and I are old enough. We grew up in the time frame. Even when we went to school, it was not uncommon to see a <laughs> shotgun or rifle in the back oh, of a oh, pickup. No, when or, I was going you know, to school or school people kids, absolutely. Uh, brought guns to school from on occasion that shows how old I am. <laughs> Cause yeah, no, you get in trouble for that. But, uh, here's a good, here's another very good quote from the time frame. The reception they received would have sunk the Spanish fleet. <laughs> But aside from the unearthly noise and peculiar odor, they did not seem to mind it, but instead slowly descended the shaft of the old mine. So, I mean, do these things have bulletproof armor? Is there some type of a shield? Uh, what? Well, what? you have How? to assume you have a variety of caliber, you know, shotguns and rifles yeah, and I, handguns. I'm envisioning at least 20-some people just firing away, emptying rounds. I mean, you, somebody is going to hit this thing in a key critical point. Well, somebody's going to hit something. You yeah. Would, yeah, you mean... Apparently, apparently they're immune to gunfire. Now, after the the creatures disappear into the mine, uh, everyone present immediately gets to work sealing the opening of the mine. They don't they don't want to you know take any chances with these creatures. Well, and back. apparently the mine had kind of closed down anyhow. So yeah, yeah. let's and, just and of course they sealed up the mine, and the creature was never to be seen again. Or was it? Or was it? They believed they'd sealed the mine up, and that they'd never seen that they would never see the creature again. 
And I think it went for a good long time without anyone saying they had seen the creature. I, I would say it even kind of got into the 2000s for sure, really before the, a lot of the stories well, I, came I out. I do have a story from the 80s. Oh, okay. So um, I didn't come across There were one. sporadic sightings of a, and I literally have Batman in my notes. Batman. Again, I, I, I was not in a good mind frame when I was doing this, I guess. Sporadic sightings of the Batman have happened since. Uh, no. So I do have a sighting from the 80s where a man who had just moved into the area and had never before heard the story of the Van Meter visitor uh, was apparently walking near this coal mine when he saw a five-foot-long bat-like creature coming out of the mine fly out over his head. Once again. So five foot, that's pretty big. I don't know the size of the local bats in in that area. I would not say they were five foot. Well, I know our local bats don't get that big. Nowhere near it. And that's further north, so. But yeah, that was 1980s, and then you said 2000s, and, and that's where the rest of the reports that I have come from. So I don't know which ones you have. Well, I just wanted to say um, there's a gentleman by the name of Chad Lewis uh, who's actually recently put out a new book, and that's the book we kind of tease there the, at the, the top. The Van Meter Visitor. The Van Meter Visitor. And a lot of a lot of the notes kind of come from his research, I think. Here. And he has he's written like, 15 plus books on just supernatural stuff. He's kind of like you and I kind of interested in that type of stuff. Um, there's some co-authors a Noah Voss and a Kevin Lee Nelson um, with the local librarian, Jolena Walker. And so, yeah, he's really went back to the town. He's, I'm thinking he must be semi close to living in that region because actually um, if you go online, you can see him giving a tour like in, in the last six months, a night tour basically and and he's got 30 40 people out there following him through the streets and he's going to each one of the buildings where all the events took place and that's respectable for a creature that has like a a four-day lifespan in history yeah i mean (laughs) it definitely set a precedence with this town but yeah go on with some of the newer sightings if you would okay somewhere in the early 2000s uh, a man and his family were driving home to van meter uh, when they spotted what they thought was a giant bird-like creature dead on the side of the, the road much larger than anything that should have been in their area. So he found a place to turn around, and when he came back to investigate said body, body was gone. Body was gone. In 2006, a pastor was waiting for his friend in Colfax, Iowa, when he spotted what he described as a dragon in the sky. So he goes home, and he does what any good person's going to do. He Googled Iowa dragon when he got <laughs> home, and the first picture he comes across is an artist rendering of the Van Meter monster. And that is almost identical it's to like what he that's saw. That's what I saw. Uh, 2014, a Iowa City College student and his girlfriend were walking through the, the park kind of on a romantic stroll when they encountered a creature similar to the Van Meter monster. Uh, that was documented on the TV show Expedition X, which, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've seen a lot. Of, I know you've I have, watched it. Yeah. I've seen a few episodes of it's it. It's a branch off of uh, Josh Gates and Expedition Unknown. Kind of got his uh, two friends that uh, kind of go out and help him investigate stuff. And then uh, the last sighting I have, uh, 2020, so, you know, last year, in Boone, Iowa, a person reported seeing a giant bird, and in, in quotes here, uh, in their words, when it flapped its huge wings, all I could see was light, dark, light, dark. And it was a huge whoosh, whoosh, whoosh that I heard. Well, again, you got to imagine, you know, wings, three, five foot. I mean, yeah, that's, that's going to turn up some dust and, and some wind. Beast. But none of the incidences, uh, we keep saying the word bird. There was no mention that at least I saw of any feathers. It's no. always like a leathery skin, definitely more pterodactyl. Well, the artist rendering is, is very much a pterodactyl looking creature, except for the horn and, and no discernible eyes in the pictures that I saw. Yeah. 
well, again, maybe you're blinded with this beacon of light well, off the horn you and you can't eyes. see the eyes. Uh, now, you had mentioned um, one of the incidences back in 1903. Uh, uh, I can't remember if it was the bank owner. had went out and cast some footprints. Yeah. Unfortunately, those have all been lost. Yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the, the author you were talking about, he's been trying to track those down with, without any luck. And uh, Chad Lewis, and he actually, and I believe Expedition X, uh, also tracked down what they believed was the mine entrance. Now, from what I am told, actually what I saw, uh, the part of the old brick manufacturing place is still there. Uh, it's private property, so you know, do not trespass. Um, but uh, they did believe they found the mine opening and they actually even brought in some earth moving material or machines and started digging up and they found like where you would typically see like beams and stuff had been thrown they did some uh, sonar basically scanning and but they didn't find a cave or the mine you know it was yeah. just fill but they believe they did find that you know so speculation totally is like okay well if they collapse the mine how are these creatures getting out and the obvious thing is well there might be another yeah, opening another somewhere exit else. to that mine somewhere one again it depends on with the rabbit holes and which one you choose to dive down but one of the more interesting stories i got out of a new lore was they believe the creature maybe like hibernates if you will for like a hundred years and then resurfaces or eggs like, hatch I mean, or we've got ourselves whatever situation yeah here. yeah yeah so well i uh i think at one point in time one of the visitors described it as being devilish yes and you know i i have seen a devil-like creature and it, you know if it, i know the good lord exists so this is proof that the devil exists there can't was have one of, without the other sort of a religious bent on it i think one of the newer theories is now that this might be some sort of interdimensional or alien type entity that would explain its its super unusual, you know, biology that we, you know, the and that makes the most sense of of the theories to me. I mean, I don't think, and we talked about pterodactyls and dinosaur sightings in one of our previous podcasts. North Carolina and Texas yeah. are hot spots, but again, this this light beacon scanning thing that that's that's something totally different. The the scent that stuns you, dazes you, maybe clouds your mind and you know wipes yeah, your like, memory like you you can definitely see a listing in a monster manual with you know oh memory erasing smell yes. you know, blinding light as you said you could it's like this was just ripped out of the pages of dungeons and dragons or something well to commemorate the sightings van meter has a van meter visitor festival that happens every september uh, the festival brings in three to 500 people to Van Meter, which is respectable. And I think the guy who started the festival, you know, he said he'd even be happy with 20 people. And, and again, you have a, some, a, you know, an American beast here and, and just spotted over the span of three days with a couple of with sightings later on. And, and I have to, I, I, you know, I, I know we do this podcast. We talk about strange and unusual and I love the monsters. Uh, you know, we talk about those all the time. I will say that I'm always skeptical of sightings that come way, way after the original sightings of like, oh, I saw this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about the Mothman and, and people have shown pictures of, uh, you know, the giant horned owl. And you're like, oh, well, that definitely could explain the Mothman. Herons, I believe. The Sandhill the sand Crane. Cranes, you know? and yeah. So so things like this where they're like, we saw a giant bird. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, cranes and flight and, and we see vultures and buzzards starting to see a lot more eagles yeah, in this area. I, That's a big bird. And I remember one time, you know, going in, going on a road trip with my, my grandmother and my mom and seeing, you know, a, a turkey vulture mm -hmm. on a log over, you know, over a carcass. 
And this thing was like full wings extended. I mean, that was a big old bird. So, you know, I'm not saying people didn't see it. I just, you know, when we when we jump ahead 100 years, there's always that. Did you really see it? Or it's did always you see easier else? to reinvent something that's already out there, especially in today's society where you have all the technology and, and, and internet. We, and, we know people fake these kinds of things all the time. So, again, is, is the Van Meter monster returned? Is it just unidentified, you know, misidentified other, you know, creatures? Well, I, I will share one more story, and I may have talked about this on one of the other podcasts, but uh, some good friends of ours, uh, Robert and Liz Barker, we were out camping with my wife, Sarah, the four of us, and it was here in Missouri. I won't say where, but just a small distance from Lebanon, and we uh, had to cross this large creek, small river, however you want to word it. It was it was pretty uh, current-wise, and we, we dove or swam across it, waded across it. And there was a cave on the other side. And that's what we were trying to get to. We were spelunking, part of a spelunking group here in, in Lake County. And right probably 10 foot, maybe 15 foot into the opening of this, there was a big room. The acoustics, of course, you can imagine of a cave. I, I tell you, Bill, I, I have never been, I don't know if I would use the word scared. I was almost petrified of the sound that we heard when we <laughs> went in this room. It was like you would imagine a demon hissing it was so just blood curdling just i I can't even simulate the sound i heard all of us heard it we just kind of stopped and looked at one another like without saying a word did you hear that you know kind of thing and everybody was kind of sugar we retreated immediately being cool kids and you know age (laughs) 20-ish at the time you know we kind of recollected our our courage and thoughts and and uh, i think robert and i both went in first and the girls followed behind us again and i mean just as soon as we would set foot in here and again this is right out of like dungeons and dragons you hear this you know kind of <laughs> snake demon-esque type and we did a little research we never saw anything but apparently turkey vultures often nest in, in like caves and stuff like oh. that and when they used the words that sounded like someone was strangling or whatever that did kind of put me in the mindset of that um but again, turkey vultures around here can have a wingspan of five foot or more. I mean, I mean they're, they're yeah, they're pretty good size. They're a big, like turkey sized bird. But again, if you heard one of these, I'm I'm telling you straight up, I'm a pretty good sized guy, and you know, <laughs> it takes a lot to scare me. But that had the hair on the back of my neck standing up. So you know, all right, yeah. I mean, when you run into something like that, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, what I, was that? I, you know, similar story. A friend and a friend of mine, we were we were out late at night looking over a sinkhole. Just kind of chatting out in the woods, you know. And as we turned around to walk back to the car, there was something in the woods behind us. And we scared it. And I guarantee you, it scared us ten times worse than we scared it. <laughs> and my friend, uh, little eccentric, had a katana on him at the time. And that thing, I mean, he was like a samurai. That thing came out of nowhere. And he started whipping that sword back and forth. I jumped back because I thought, well, I'm going to lose slices. It dices. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you hear something out of sorts, so yeah, I mean, who knows what they saw back then, but you know, maybe they're still seeing it now. Uh, is it a, a reinvention of the imagination or is it something truly that's been lying dormant, you know, for a hundred years beneath the surface? And once again, it's crawled from the depths of hell to bring its wrath on Van Meter, Iowa. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, you know, Bill and I try to get together and, and come up with interesting topics. And we try not to always go in the uh, Bigfoot, Loch Ness, monster, more general direction. We try to kind of hand select a few more of the obscure. But, but 
Eric, those are my favorite. Yes, and they are mine as well. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. It's just another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thank you so much for listening. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.